the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Brigadier General Richard Delorier, OMMCD, Canadian Military Engineer Branch Colonel Commandant. I was selected to be the first regular force commanding officer of a reserve unit. In 1986, the director of engineers phoned me and said, we have a reserve unit that's dying. So he sent me up there, and I was not welcomed. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Right now, we're going to continue the interview with Brigadier General Des Delorier. Well, there's two things you said that caught me by surprise. First of all, I had no idea we had Canadian soldiers in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, maybe it would confuse the listeners because I introduced you as a Brigadier General, but you're talking about your enrolling as a young private and developing into a sergeant. So clearly you made a transition from the NCM Corps to the Officer Corps at some point. Yeah, I did. I started out as a sapper apprentice and then, uh, of course, graduated the two-year program as a sapper. Went to Corporal, Master Corporal Sergeant. I actually made it up to Master Warrant Officer. I was a Master Warrant Officer for about two years. And they had been offering me the commission from the ranks for many years before that, more or less from the time I first became a senior NCO. And I never wanted to. I wanted to be a Chief Warrant Officer like you, Mike. Unfortunately, I never made it. I only went to Master Warrant Officer. I was at a time in my career where, again, I wanted something different, a new challenge. And the CEO just happened to pop me in his office and he said, Sergeant Major Delorier, you are number one on the merit list. Can you stay there for 13 years? I said, pardon me, (laughs) sir, what do you mean? He said, well, the first Chief Warrant Officer in our branch due to retire can go another 13 years. So if you can stay on the top of the merit list, you're going to make it. And I thought, 13 years, there's nobody can stay on the top of the merit list. So once again, he said, he recommended that I commission from the ranks. And at the time, I thought, well, I guess with that put to me that way, I'll try something new. And I knew it would get me posted back to the school in Chilliwack, which I've always loved Chilliwack, the home of the engineers. So I bit the bullet, more or less gave up my NCO dream of becoming an RSM of a regiment and took the CFR. Never looked back since. No, absolutely not. But, you know, you work with good people, they make you look good. So (laughs) at both sides, uh, as an NCO and as an officer. Well, speaking about those good people, sir, who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered in your service? That's an easy one. Although there have been many who have influenced me. When I first finished my separate apprentice program, my first posting was to Gagetown. I immediately walked into, as we had to when, when we reported in, to the unit RSM's office. I heard him about 50 meters down the hall, so this was with some trepidation. Chief Warrant Officer Bob Elliott was famous in our branch as the regimental sergeant major of all regimental sergeant majors. Feared and loved. You would walk around several buildings so that you wouldn't go near his office because he would always pick you up and call you and there'd be something wrong with you, dirty boots or you needed a haircut or whatever. He was always looking for perfection. But on the other hand, when soldiers were in trouble or really did need guidance, he was almost the father type figure. So he could go from this rough, gruff, totally feared man to almost the father, sometimes one would say a mother figure, where where he loved his soldiers and would do everything in his power to support him. So just that quintessential chief warrant officer RSM. 
when I first met him as a sapper and then as a corporal I served with him as a sergeant, I wanted to be him someday. And that's what drove me to keep trying to do a good job as I was an NCO and working my way up through the NCO ranks. I'll never forget him. He's passed away now, unfortunately. Big, big memory for me and I would dare say hundreds, if not thousands of other soldiers. Incredible. Any characters come to mind? Any people who perhaps are living legends? <laughs> Any one of a thousand again. You don't spend 44 years in the military and not run across a whole raft of them. One of my favorites was another NCO, and he actually commissioned from the ranks and made it up to the high rank of captain, Boots Boudelier. A typical name for a Boudelier, I suppose. He was an NCO in the engineers and a hockey player of some note. Used to play just below professional level, AAA hockey. Obviously, was a huge star in our unit hockey teams wherever we went. In fact, he was one of the ones posted to Germany. In the old days, hockey teams were stacked. <laughs> when you had to play against the Van Dues and the RCRs and other big battalions like that, you posted people to stack your teams. And, of course, hockey being the Canadian sport was the most important. But this guy was just phenomenal. Great hockey player, great character. Never ever out of jail for a long time, <laughs> never in jail for anything serious. It, it was always either a prank that he'd pulled from driving the motorcycle into the sergeant's mess swimming pool to going in as rubber man at an officer's mess bar. And when I speak of rubber man, I speak of putting about a thousand uh, French safes on his long johns and gluing them on and then bouncing in the door with these thousand uh, dangling. So that type of character <laughs> that just you drop your jaw, you say, oh, no, it's boots again. <laughs> but uh, that's only a few antics, and, and I, there's many I could not describe. Absolutely. I remember one party at an officer's mess pool, and he decided to, uh, he just bought a new dirt bike. So here he is. We're in the officer's mess swimming pool, and it's a very nice, shanty sort of party going on. And we're having a few drinks and enjoying the warm August evening. All of a sudden, he's dragging these ramps up beside this pool, this about a 10-foot wooden ramp at about a 45-degree angle. Everybody's wondering what he's going to do. And the next thing you hear, a dirt bike starting up from around the side of the building. And he tried to jump the pool. Oh, no. He didn't quite make it. But <laughs> as soon as he landed, uh, everybody was safe, and he immediately asked for a beer as he's floating in the pool. But that was just boots. Lots of characters like that that you remember with a little chuckle, for sure. Absolutely. Sir, we've come to the final question. What was the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? Well, there have been many too. As I said, you know, 44 years, you hate the times when you're standing belly deep in cold water building a bridge. That's pretty tough times at midnight and in the middle of winter. But there are so many good times to overshadow those bad times. I think my biggest challenge, I was selected to be the first regular force commanding officer of a reserve unit. And that reserve unit was 45 Field Engineer Squadron in Sydney, Nova Scotia. In 1986, the director of engineers phoned me and said, we have a reserve unit that's dying. They're down to about 40 people. The current CO has been trying his best for a little over nine years. He's just tired. The unit is tired. Either we help it or we close it. So he sent me up there. And I was not welcomed, being a regular force, being away. The Cape Breton is saying, oh, you're from away. Uh -huh. So if you're not a Cape Bretoner, you're from away. Right. So getting over that stigma 
going into a, a reserve unit as the grand savior, I'm going to save this unit, not being a resident of, of Sydney, nor a reserve soldier at the time, because I'd always been regular force, that was a huge challenge. The first three months were probably the worst three months of my life. Trying to get to know the unit, the problems, the few people we did have, less than 40, and that was, of course, on paper. Trying to figure out how we were going to turn this unit around was really, really, really tough. What we did to turn it around, my regular force warrant officer and I, over the Christmas break, we were in an old HOT. The building was a disaster. We gutted about three rooms, and we made a small gathering room, I'll call it mess or a dry mess facility for the sappers, so that when they come back in January, they would have their own room to go to, because prior to that, there was nothing just an old eight-shot with a bunch of old offices and a couple of storage rooms. So we sort of made this canteen for them, got a fridge in it, a whole bunch of lights. We uh, paneled it, and we had snacks and all that for them. So at least the soldiers had a place to call their own. And we immediately ran a competition for them to name it. Of course, they named it the Beaver's Den, being mm-hmm. engineers. But that was the first step, which enabled us to be trusted. They came back, and the thought was, hey, they did this for us. That started the road to acceptance, if you will. And then over the next three years, we just kept doing things and doing things. The biggest thing was training. Soldiers want exciting training. Engineers love doing mine warfare, demolitions, booby traps. So we focused on that, slowly built it up. After three years, it wasn't a challenge anymore. It was an absolute pleasure working there and probably my greatest accomplishment, not mine alone, Everybody that worked there to get this done, the the unit was about 150 strong. So from less than 40 to 150, and a unit that was alive and wanting to succeed. And they're still succeeding. As Colonel Commandant, and I visited them last year, they're still about 140, 150. And they've now joined with two other squadrons to become a combat engineer regiment out in Atlantic Canada. Biggest challenge, for sure, when I left, there was more than just a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye Hmm. because I had been accepted. I was no longer a quote from away. Biggest accomplishment for sure that I could do that for this small unit. Right. Incredible achievement, sir. Not just mine. And I I really want to emphasize that. A couple of good warrant officers joined me there as the uh, regular support staff. That's the people that make things work for sure. Absolutely. We've come to the end of the episode, sir. Is there anything you'd like to say just to summarize? Just to encourage any and all listeners, there are bad times, there are good times. The good times in the military always, always far outweigh the bad times. It is the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Who knows where I would have gone if I hadn't made that one little quick decision way back then. Absolutely a fantastic career for those that want a lot of challenges but definitely a sense of accomplishment. I love it. I still love my job as Colonel Commandant because I still get to talk to soldiers. Absolutely love it and always will. Sir, is there anything you're working on right now? Well, I'm still the Colonel Commandant. I get the pleasure next week of flying out to Chilliwack, British Columbia again, the home of the engineers. It was our home since the 1940s. And I get to uh, rededicate the name of the Army. It's changing from just base Chilliwack to the Colonel Roger Kenwood St. John Armory. Roger St. John was a Colonel Commandant prior to my time, passed away during his tenure, a much-loved officer in our branch. So 
So we now are going to rename Base Chilliwack after him. He was the last base commander when it was CFP Chilliwack also. So I get the other privilege to go out there and participate in that dedication ceremony. I'll also visit the retired Sappers reunion that weekend. This is the annual engineer birthday weekend coming up. I'll probably see a few hundred retired sappers out there and hopefully have some fun times and some going down memory lane with them. I'll then hit back and I'll hit Edmonton where I'll join one combat engineer regiment for uh, their engineer birthday celebrations. So my biggest thing is I'm still working. I'm still part of the branch as the engineer colonel commandant, very much involved visiting engineers uh, across this country. Excellent, sir. Sir, thank you very much for taking the time to being a guest on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you and reminiscing about our service together. I'll never forget when you were the deputy area commander, and I was assigned to be the role player of the chief of police for the exercise. (laughs) Okay. And you were the role player chief of police, but it fits well with your civilian occupation, obviously. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You came to check up on me, and I think we were both having the time of our life in that exercise. Mike, as I said, there's tons of great memories. Not all good, but the good always outweigh the bad. I have so many friends that are lifelong friends now that I met through the military. They are truly brother in arms. I love them all, and I trust them all. There's no other organization quite like the Canadian Armed Forces, as you are well aware. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very much for having me as a part of the show. You're welcome, sir. Chimo. Chimo to you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.